This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 1, The Sacred Band of Thebes. Gather round now, everyone here, hear of incredible things. We'll tell you the stories of people we've met, and creatures with clockwork and springs. As we've sailed through the tunnels of time... Hello, first and future listeners, I'm Zane Wind. And I'm Josh Virila, and welcome to Incredible Stories Podcast, where we hope to bring you weekly stories ranging from fantastic human achievements, unusual history, and even a touch of paranormal, but all incredible. So Josh, how's it going? Introduce yourself to the audience. Hello audience, Uh, again, I'm Josh, uh, coming at you from sunny Atlanta, Mm -hmm. where the players play. Still very hot. Yes, still very hot. Uh, Zane and I both being uh, the play- players from Atlanta. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, well, you know, I'm just hoping to bring a touch of my interest, and hopefully the listeners here would will find uh, that they're interested in these types of stories as well. But I've had a curiosity and paranormal and kind of weird history mm-hmm. ever since I was a, a wee lad. A and, wee little uh, lad. You know, I, I fancy myself the, kind of like an amateur artist, so... Maybe I'll draw some of these episodes and put them up and make them available for you guys to check out. And, uh, you know, you can you can uh, download it if you like. What about you, Zane? What, what, what's happening with you? Well, um, uh, everything's going well. Um, I, uh, I work in a PR uh, with the military uh, with Josh. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, so we do all that. Um, and um, my uh, little side thing is um, I'm into the acting scene here in Atlanta. And um, it's a really fun scene to be a part of. Uh, cause, cause Atlanta, you know, uh, film industry is definitely on the rise. Um, I've had some, uh, some parts and, um, my bi- big thing was American Reunion, uh, the fourth movie in the American Pie kind of canon, uh, series. I played, uh, Nadia's, uh, husband, uh, Mitch and Nadia. Was- I knew your voice sounded familiar. Yes, yes. I sound so much and look so much <laughs> like Jason Biggs. It's such, such a gift. Um, but hey, it got me that role, so I can't be, I can't be down on myself. Um, and yeah, basically I I got cast because I kind of look like Jason Biggs. I might sound like him a bit. And, um, it was fun though. I got to, uh, meet Shannon Elizabeth, um, and, you know, some of the other cast and crew. And it was cool to be part of that universe because, you know, kind of, kind of grew up with that American Pie series. So that was really fun, and then also I've I've met nobody. You met nobody. Oh well, that's that's well, that, that's not true. I actually I I got to interview Mike Love of the Beach Boys. Oh, okay, time. all right, yeah. So that was cool. Wait, wait. Also, didn't you date like the dog sitter <laughs> of some fa- like a, what, yeah, what was Ke- the deal with that? Kevin Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I, I I dated his dog walker for a minute. Um, that that was interesting. So you know, I had like one degree. Yes, of separation that's from awesome. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> it's a cool. We story. both have the connection with the Kevin Bacon thing because John Cho, who uh, is in the American Pie movies, uh, he's like the random Asian guy who's like, uh, you know, Stifler's mom and all that. He um he was uh, he was in some movie, kind of an artsy project with Kevin Bacon. I looked it up on IMDb, oh. so it's got some connection okay. there. <laughs> it's official. It's official. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, let's um let's um kick off some. Uh, headlines for our listeners some interesting headlines yeah. and before we get into our main story of uh, the sacred band of thebes and uh, listeners what we'll be doing here is uh, for the headlines it's uh, a lightning round right off the bat so it is time to do we are giving ourselves a minute 20 to give you the headlines discuss it whatever let you digest that 
but only a minute 20. So, um, Zane, you want to you wanna go first? Kick it off? All right, I'll go with my uh, incredible headline. Uh, just tell me when, Josh. Okay, uh, ready and go. You're on the clock. All right, uh, here's a NASA mystery. Scientists are baffled by Pluto's intense X-ray emissions. Uh, no natural means for such a mission. Um, it's kind of odd, um, according to these scientists, um, because, you know, Pluto, pretty far away, it's a little icy. Um, it's about 3.6 billion miles away from the sun, and it appears to be emitting, um, x-rays, like a high-energy radiation x-rays. Um, and so, all these NASA scientists are kind of confused, and what... Usually with this type of thing with planets like in Jupiter being the farthest one in the solar system that, you know, is a known source of X-rays. The reason why this has happened is uh, solar rays will interact with the atmosphere of, let's say, Jupiter. And it creates a lot of high energy with all the molecules in the atmosphere and it just bursts out with X-rays. But this is going on in Pluto all the way back. Uh, did we decide, is that the ninth uh, planet? I don't know anymore. It kind of switches it, up. It's a, no, it's a nothing now. But Although, you know what my theory is? It's actually uh, Pluto inside of it has a, a, a dental office emitting the x-rays. Lots of tooth work on That was the other theory, Josh. Man, you just stole uh, Time's it. up. Oh, and oh. Time, time. Darn it. Sorry, that's it. So if you guys want to know more about that, you're just going to have to check it out yourselves. Stole, um, stole the ending. All right, <laughs> all right. So I guess uh, my turn now. So Your let's turn. go. Uh, let's. Go, I guess I will time myself. Okay. All right. So my headline is: Human skeleton discovered at Antikythera shipwreck after more than two thousand years at the bottom of the sea. So um, Antikythera. Um, some of you might have heard of the Antikythera mechanism. I haven't. You haven't? Okay, well, that's an interesting story for another time, perhaps. But essentially what that was is a a complicated set of gear works in a little box that scientists don't really know where it came from or who made it. But it was very advanced for its time, kind of like an ancient analog computer. Uh, They think they kind of used it to track planet movements and stuff like that. Oh, weird. So it's one of those really interesting things. But what they found was underneath the shipwreck and some sand were bones of, I guess, whoever was on the ship. And they think what they can do, because the bones were so well preserved, is to extract the DNA from there and kind of see who was on this ship and making the runs and uh, transporting this stuff. So, you know, it's kind of a cool thing if they can determine, you know, that little piece of the puzzle and maybe get a better idea of the uh, Antikythera mechanism itself. Say that ten times fast. Okay. Antikythera to the ten times something... Yeah. I don't know. My time's up, though. So All right. <laughs> moving hey, on. Hey, you handled that very well. You handled that very well. Okay. Oh, thank you. That's All what right. I do. Ant- That's what she said. Antica- Antikythera. Anti- okay. All right. Um, all right. So am I up now for my headline, my next headline? You're on the clock. Okay. Breaking. Pigeons can read a little bit. What? New, new, research, can sh- new research shows that, just with some training, the gradual training... Uh, the birds moved from learning to eat from a, a food hopper to recognizing shapes to learning words. Kind of like uh, human children, maybe? Um, that's what they're kind of comparing it to at this level of intelligence. So what they do, they um, they had this test, um, and they narrowed down to the four brightest birds out of 18 in this laboratory test. Over eight months of training, the advanced class pigeons were taught to distinguish four-letter words from non-words, like symbols. 
Uh, they were even able to tell the difference between correctly spelled words and those with transposed characters like very and V-R-E-Y. So, you know, misspelled words. Or well, most humans have a hard time with that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. You know, pretty much in the media, everywhere you go. But yeah, uh, the pigeon's performance is actually more comparable to that of literate humans than as of apes like baboons. So uh, we got some smart bird brains out there. I just stole your joke, Josh. All right. Well, you know, uh, technically baboons aren't apes, though. But that's time, so I can't get into that. They, they aren't? Oh, oh you're right. They're <laughs> no. not. They're more... Yeah. No. They're an old world monkey. But yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, whatever. You know, I'm sure our listeners knew that. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Still good story. Very interesting there. I always find it fascinating, you know, when uh, animals can do these uh, more complicated uh, brain-type exercises. Oh, well, then you'll be excited about my next headline in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Well, let's first, uh, here's my next one. It is, we can turn water into wine in 15 minutes, claim creators of pioneering grape-free artificial vino. The alcoholic inside me got so excited. Keep going. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you're giddy. Um, so basically this company in San Francisco, this, um, what they've been able to do, they say, is they can manufacture wine without using grapes in the process. Uh, oh. basically what they do is they identify the components of wine, uh, which are amino acids, acids, sugars, volatile organics, and ethanol. So by combining these molecules of things themselves, they come up with something they say is wine, at least they think so. Oh, um, from what I can tell, it seems that the people who have tried it say it kind of tastes pretty bad. Oh. <laughs> like, a, like a plastic bag, or this one person plastic said... Plastic bag? Lovely. Yeah, plastic Yeah. Or this one person said it, it kind of tastes like those inflatable sharks you take into the pool. It oh. kinda, <laughs> kinda Everyone like knows that. the taste of those, right? Am I right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I eat those every summer. Oh, well. But you know what? At least this is a start. So, you know, kudos to them for getting the ball rolling on that. Because it's, it's time. Because it is such an emergency to get, get that figured out. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, cool, cool. It kind of reminds me of like those, uh, they had a little thing where they're trying to do powdered alcohol um, for a mm-hmm. while and put it in water, but that didn't work. That was time zone. Moving oh, on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right. You Ready? ready? Go! All right. Badass cow takes down helicopter and walks off like a boss. Uh, so basically, this happened in Australia. Um, there was um, of course, yeah, unified uh, chopper pilot. Um, he was trying to round up some uh, cattle um, in uh, Cohen off the Cape York Peninsula in Queensland, um, and things didn't go well. Um, so basically, what kind of happened is, as he was trying to herd them, uh, he was a little too close. And one of uh, the bull's uh, horns got caught underneath, um, I guess, like the little railing when, um, you know, the landing pad or whatever. I don't know, helicopters. Hmm. And it caused the chopper to lose balance. Um, And the chopper was utterly destroyed. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, But um, the pilot was okay. And most importantly, this badass cow was okay. Well, that's good. You you know you won't, don't want the cow to get sliced up and give you um, what's it called uh, the, the chicken the raw chicken. 
No, not chicken. Uh, yeah, you know what? Chick-fil-A probably had a hand in this. Mm, it's some sort of marketing campaign. <laughs> well, it looks like you came in just under the wire, Zane, so kudos to Thank you. Thank you. I got better. You did. You did. You're, you're improving like the pigeons. You're learning. Yeah, not by much. <laughs> Those pigeons are smart. They are. All right, so for my final headline. Is Ball Lightning a portal to another universe? I almost chose this. Oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear I didn't about read this? it, so go ahead. <laughs> almost chose it, though. So, so basically, Ball Lightning is, is a very weird phenomenon. The scientists haven't quite fully explain or understand so there's a several factors here with ball lightning that this one professor says that you know what it could be a portal to another uh, dimension because it's acting so weird and and kind of what it does is uh, ball lightning it can move independently from the atmosphere so kind of like regardless of what's going on around it it just does its own thing um, also it can move through it can move through windows and walls unimpeded and sometimes it causes damage or no da- or no damage or a lot of damage. And there appears to be little or no correlation between the appearance size color and the energy limit. So, so this professor says that because this thing is so sporadic, it might just be like a, a little window into another dimension. And you're just seeing the output of that dimension in the form of this ball lightning. Which is is pretty cool um, idea, if I do say so myself. Man, I was just talking about pigeons and cows, and now my brain is melted. Uh, that- that's what I do with like lightning, but that's my time, so I can't oh. melt it anymore. So. <laughs> I'm starting to trip balls, damn it! <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Maybe that's a story for another show. Ball lightning. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Very cool. All right, so well, let's get right into it. Uh, the Sacred Band of Thebes. Tell us about them, Josh. Uh, what do we have today for our listeners regarding this band? Well, Zane, what comes to mind when I say the Spartans? Oh, uh, Michigan State football? Uh, that is true, but uh, what else? Oh, oh, uh, from the movie. All those abs. Those nice, sexy okay. abs. Okay, you do have sexy abs in there, but I'll give you one more shot. What, what do you think of when I say Spartans of ancient Greece? Oh, well... Undefeatable badasses. That is interesting. Yes. Um, funny you should say uh, you should say undefeatable. What if I told you that they got no. beat? No. Yes. In fact, several times. But one in particular. What if I told you they got beat by a small band of soldiers made of male lovers? Well, now you have my interest, Josh. A gay army will go on. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, <clears throat> first. Let me set for you the scene of ancient Greece. You set that scene. So, all right. So you see, during this period of time, Greece was always fighting with itself. One city-state fighting for regional dominance over another, constant skirmishes, treaties, and breaking treaties. Now, Athens, Sparta, and Thebes were the big boys on the block, constantly seeing who could piss the furthest. I I like to think of them like this try try to picture this all right so so athens is like the smart intellectual brother all right and sparta is like the strong pig-headed but not so savvy brother and thebes was the sneaky opportunistic yeah they were sneaky sorry sorry go ahead they begin on the sneak sneak so so let's start around where we're going to start is the year 386 bc when the persian king and uh, listeners, I'm going to mess up so many names because it's Persian and Greek throughout. Yes. Um, so the Persian Greek or the Persian king Artaxerxes 
brokered a deal called the King's Peace. So basically, Persia was like the parent in the room with all these Greek brothers, right? And he said, you Greek guys are getting on my nerves. I want you to stop fighting, so here's what we're going to do. Yeah, you Greek guys, you're bothering me. So here's here's what we do. I realize that Italy is not that far from Greece (laughs) and the whole geographical thing. But the whole (laughs) monster stereotype, I don't know if that really fits, but I like it. So just keep on going with it. Just had to call you out. Well, you Okay, well, you know, I don't know too many uh, accents. That's the one I can do. But we're going to say, um, have, have you ever been to ancient Persia, Zane? Uh, no, I have not. Well, that's exactly oh. how they sounded. So oh. moving on. All right. Uh, so Persia... <laughs> so Persia was like, Greece is what you're going to do. You're going to give me some of your towns in Asia Minor. And if you fight each other, I'm going to come in with my armies and bust some skulls. I'm going to smack your dads. Capiche? 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 So, the goal of the King's Peace was to stop the Greek Empire building that had been going on for about 100 years at this point. Um, so, naturally, of, of those big boys on the block, Sparta was the Sparta. one that said, F you! Yeah, F you, Persia! And they started going around attacking the other Greek towns in the, in the Peloponnese. So, the, the Peloponnese for you guys... Is the um, is the bottom peninsula of Greece the one that kind of looks like I guess the best way to describe it is a bunch of bunch fingers, fingers. kind of bunch of fingery looking things. So they did this for about ten years, right? So Sparta running around bullying, seeking more and more control of Greece, and then this led to the creation of the Athenian League in 378 BC. Can't help, it just reminds me of Justice League. I don't know, I like it. It is. It is similar. It is Bunch similar. Of badasses. They had a Aquios Homo Homo Aquios was in reminds there. Me of, in reminds band. me of Aquaman, and he's the best, isn't yeah, he? That, well, that, that he's the best. He's the brightest. <laughs> so, all right. So the Athenian League in 378 was consisting of Athens, Thebes, and some of the smaller, some of their smaller allies. Uh, so they pretty much got tired of Sparta's bullcrap, right? And decided to fight back with more numbers. So, but I know what you're saying, Zane. What about the King's Peace Agreement with Persia saying they would come to bust some skulls? Well, what about that King's Peace Agreement with Persia saying they would come and bust some skulls, eh? Meh. Persia didn't really care. They had their towns in Asia Minor, right? So they are like, we got what we wanted. We got territory. We got all these good little cities that you guys gave to us and bonus you guys are fighting each other so we don't have to deal with yeah so really yeah really it was a win-win they for can just chill the grapes the wine and the cheese yeah that sounds good to them sweet sweet cheese yes. so now it's around this time in 378 bc that a theban named Gorgidas. Gorgidas. Cheesy Gordita you crunch. Might... Sorry, sorry. All right, keep going. <laughs> really hungry. No, no. This, I don't blame you. Gorgidas. <laughs> he he was known for the Gorgita crunch, but he also founded the Sacred Band of Thieves. Our subject. The, our subject for today. Dun, da, da. So what the Sacred Band of Thieves was, uh, it was an elite military unit made of 300 men. So that's 150 pairs 
of lovers. And to go into uh, those uh, 150 pairs, um, you had the older man, and he was called um, Aristes, uh, which is lover. Mm-hmm. And then the younger male, which which he was called Eromenos, um, and that meant beloved. So they had their uh, you know their main titles for each of them, so older and younger. Um, and you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, and it, it seems there wasn't that great of an age discrepancy between the two. According to one scholar, males in the battalion were only made full members after they reached that golden age of 20 or 21. And after the age 30, veterans were mustered out. Yeah, and that's right. You know, a lot of people think um, probably with ancient Greece that, you know, the with homosexuality, they had, um, you know, they were into like little boys and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, there was only about a 10 year age difference here. And you got to remember, these are fighting age men. So, you know, what they're doing is they need guys who are physically fit mm-hmm. and can fight. So they were called the Sacred Band. Not because they played music, although side note, Zane, I think a great name for a band is, and, and don't steal this, listeners, <laughs> or uh, Zane. is going to be called the, or Zane is called uh, the Seven Against Thebes. Sounds pretty it's awesome. It's a pretty good band name. Yeah, it's actually a story. It's a, it's a good story. Maybe that's a story for another time. So that's trademark, Zane. Don't steal it. Is it trademark? Is it? Yes, I just went on legal zoom. It's done. Uh, All right, so, but they were called the Sacred Band of Thebes initially because they were created to guard the sacred citadel in Thebes named Cadmia, named after Cadmus, the legendary founder of Thebes and the inventor of the Cadbury egg. Okay. Nah, he didn't really. What? what? Oh, man. Man, we're we're talking a lot about food on this. (laughs) Yes, yes. You can tell where our minds are at the moment. Man, there's nothing wrong with talking about food. There isn't, but let me, uh, on a related note, the issue, let me get into a little bit, the issue of homosexuality in ancient Greece. It wasn't a big deal in Greece. Um, They had a pretty big range of sexual appetites uh, back then. Although the pairing of lovers in, (laughs) the pairing of lovers in battle was definitely a radical idea of the time. So I guess the concept was that each man would fight more inspired while standing next to their lover and that makes sense mm-hmm. to me i mean uh zane don't you think if if you were in a battle with your significant other that you'd fight more more hard so you didn't look like such a, a wussy nah i i i leave her i leave her there and <laughs> i you know she can go ahead she can bite you know fight other persians and artaxerxes i'm good i'm gonna go back in my little my little hut and have some cheese and grapes well, at least you're honest, although unfortunately I'm sure you'd have to hear about how you were a, a little bitch every time after <laughs> after that battle. Ah, it's fine. It'd be uh, Xanios, the, the bitch of Thebes. Xanios. I like that. That could be a new nickname. <laughs> Not the bitch of Thebes part. Xanios. Xanios. I'm going to start calling you that at work. I mean, that's, that's the Which new, one? That's Which name. one's more? Bitch of Thebes or Xanios? <laughs> this is important. Bitch, bitch, bitch of Thebes. That's, that's your name. Well, I'm going to HR. <laughs> no. It's off hours. <laughs> all right, so, all right, now in 375 BC, led by Pelopidas, I don't know, is that, is that my, my pronunciation again? Uh, is that right, Zane? Ah, uh, well, maybe Pelopidas, Pelop- you know. That, uh, that's like it, Pelopidas. Pe- Pelopidas. Not penis, Pidas. Pe- Pidas. Pelopidas. Pidas. Pidas. Pelopidas. Yes. Pelopidas. 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 Alright, so this is in 375 BC. 
Pelopidus is leading the Sacred Band of Thebes. And they're going into uh, the Battle of Tegera. Mm-hmm. And this was the first real test for the Sacred Band of Thebes. Okay? So we're talking about 300 of the Sacred Band of Thebes versus between 1,000 to 1,800 Spartans. Spartans! Vastly, <laughs> vastly outnumbered. Yeah. And in fact, it is said that one of the Theban soldiers said... <clears throat> We are falling into our enemy's hands. To which my boy Pelopidus, Pelopidus, Pelopidus said, And why not they into ours? Which is kind of badass. I bet the wind was just blowing his hair back as he stood there. I'll, I'll t- in all epic. I'll tell you what was badass. That first accent for the, the mm. first Theban shoulder. I mean, <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> let me tell you. That was Smitty. Smitty from the Secret Oh, uh, okay, Smitty. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> you know, he's, he's not one of the strong... He wasn't a great orator. No, he was he was a good fighter, not a good orator. Yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> I got it. I got it now. All right. So w- during this battle, uh, when they fought, the Sacred Band unexpectedly beat the Spartans. Yeah. Ah, all right. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure the talking heads on GSPN look stupid after that. John Gulenos here for GSPN with a preview from Monday Night Battles. Let's go to the tail of the tape. As you see, this battle season in the Athenian League for the Spartans seems undefeatable. Who do you like, Josh Alopinus? Well, JG, with their near impenetrable phalanx, their upcoming battle with the new Theban all-male lovers, Sacred Band, looks as good as over. I hope they love getting slaughtered. The Spartans have an impressive turnout, 1,800 men. That's 10,800 abs. Mighty fine good-looking abs. The Sacred Band, on the other hand, I'm looking, but their roster seems to be incomplete. Did they forget the rest of their team? Only 300. Come on, man. Done, son. Put your drachmas on the Spartans for the win. Anything else, and you're just throwing money down on a Spartan hole. Okay, so this battle really didn't have any big military significance as far as power shifts, but it did have a sort of the Russian is cut moment for Thebes. So this boosted their confidence for it was the first time a Sparta force was defeated by a force equal or lesser in size in battle. Yeah, way to go Thebes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's always a big, um, you know, boost. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the ragtag guys, like the oh, Sandlot yeah. oh, or yeah. something, getting that big victory. Um, it just, you don't expect it, and then out of nowhere, bam, upside the head. So after this battle, the Athenian League was like, oh, yeah, suck it, Sparta. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 uh, no input uh, there. I'm just going to let that be. Okay. Let it be. Okay, move, move, move moving on. on. <laughs> All right. So Athens, at this point, tried to organize a peace conference between themselves, Sparta, and Thebes. But it all fell apart because Sparta and Thebes couldn't agree on who would control the territory of Boeotia. Okay. So that's just like a little region um, on, I think, the coast of, east coast of uh, Greece. I'd have to double check that. But yeah, it's there. Coming up in our next podcast, we will go back. (laughs) Yeah, and We will go back to where things are on NPR (laughs) you're listening to. All right, so Sparta, being Sparta, couldn't just have a friendly disagreement. So in 371 BC, they said, Okay, we gonna go get our boys, I say. 
and they rolled up with their allies to battle thieves outside a village called Luketra. And, and you know they they um they didn't have low riders though. No low riders on. Oh, Still hitting bad. them corners and them low lows, girl. <laughs> gangster, Josh, man, going from. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that's Sparta. Sparta was gangster like okay. that. I, I, always, I imagine them as the jocks, but I like I like the gangster attitude to it. Gangsta gangster jocks. jocks. That's what oh, they were right. known as. That was historical fact. All right. So now the Spartans had, by some estimates, in this battle, uh, eleven thousand troops uh, between them and their allies, and the Thebans had, let's say, around seven thousand, give or take. The numbers vary. Um, you know, they had a bunch of... They didn't have the tightest of records back then, obviously. Um, but, you know, vastly outnumbered. So about half the troop size there for okay. the Thebans. So naturally, everyone put their money on Sparta. Probably thanks to the heavily biased commentators at GSPN yeah, again. Yeah, man, that, that John Grudenos, like, he... He, he's always he's all about those uh, Spartans and Persians. He just never, never goes for the upset. He's always the safe, safe better. It's too bad. Yeah, idiot. Hey, I'm John Grudenos. Okay, <laughs> couldn't help myself. Uh, <laughs> all right, so, but thanks to the confidence boost from four years earlier and maybe an epic mixtape uh, of battle songs on their Sacred you know, Band of Thieves you know, iPod you know equivalents. Yeah. <laughs> Thieves help their allies beat the Spartans oh, again. Wow. Yeah. Thieves. Wow, that's two in a row. Oh, all right, sweet. good job. So um, a little note here on how the Greeks fought back then. So they typically fought in a phalanx formation, composed of heavy infantrymen with spears, pikes, and si- similar type long weapons. Uh, now, traditionally, the Greek armies would put their strongest and best soldiers on the right side of the formations. So when two armies faced off, their strongest fighters would be fighting the other army's weakest fighters first. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, pretty good tactical warfare there, um, but... Uh... But apparently, Thebans uh, kind of broke this tradition, right? Um, yeah, they did. So what they did... Well, well, first, let me back up a little bit here. So a lot of times in, in the battles when they put... You're putting your strongest fighters against lined up against the other um, group's weakest fighters. Uh, the battles kind of uh, rotate a little okay. bit, right? And uh, so your weakest guys all get picked off. But yeah, the, the Thebans... Um, infantry broke this tradition and put the sacred band on the left side oh. of their formation. So what this did was align their strongest fighters, which you know were the sacred band, against the oh. Spartans' elite their strongest corps fighters too. And, and their strongest fighters. So they had about four hundred fighters, including the the Spartan king. So you got a number one seed versus the number one seed. Upsets are bound to happen. Yeah, that, that's pretty brilliant. I mean, I mean they're already they're already like on a hot streak. They've been Sparta mm-hmm. a couple times and and you know, you show up and do go against the traditional battle method and now you're going, you know, tit for tat against uh, the best Spartan warriors instead of their weaker ones. And then the king himself, I mean, I feel like that's gotta be intimidating on the Spartan side. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's definitely, uh, I would say, demoralizing when you actually make that um, make that move and, and defeat their strongest fighters. Because then the rest of the army is like, well, <laughs> crap, <laughs> we got we no chance. Yeah, at least at least when they would do it the other way, you know, maybe some of your weaker fighters would pick off a few of the strongest fighters. So, you'd, you know, before they got to to each other. But this way, it was just full strength, full yeah. strength. But yeah, so Thebes won this one. Again, and Again, and this Thebes. marked their greatest victory and ended the Spartan dominance of Greece. Hooray! Hooray! 
Winning is for lovers. Oh, this reminds me of that, uh, what is it? Virginia is for lovers, like decal. Mm-hmm. My, my dad always, <laughs> he got that when we went up to Virginia, and he was so proud of it. And I was like, I, I just thought it was dumb. I was like, Virginia doesn't seem like a place where it's just all about love. I, I think more history, but love, maybe Paris, just kind of, it's kind of boring. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I grew up in uh, Virginia originally, so I can, I can speak to this uh, firsthand. I never got it either, because when I think Virginia, I don't think of romance. And I'm sorry to my my Virginia listeners here. You know, I love you, because you know Virginia's for lovers. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that slogan, it's it's got to change. Maybe Virginia is for leaf changes or something. I don't know. That is so catchy, um, Josh. <laughs> yeah, trademark that too with my band. So, <laughs> all right. So so Sparta, ever Sparta after this battle had an interesting way of reacting to the defeat, which I just, I find fantastic. So, Sparta, after giving the names of the dead to the relatives of the fallen, as they do, uh, told them to bear the suffering in silence and avoid any cries of lamentation. So the, f- so the following day, um, what was seen was that those who had relatives who died in battle on the Sparta side uh, we're going about their day all happy as if nothing nothing happened. While those who didn't have relatives lost in battle on, on the Sparta side were all walking around sad and sorry for themselves, sulking. Because you got to remember, to die in battle for Sparta was the bee's yeah, knees. Yeah, the greatest honor, pretty much. Oh, yeah. So you just imagine they're going like, Oh, man, my, my relatives didn't die, but yours did. That's no fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how they... It's kind of Yeah, like we'll, we'll say kind of. <laughs> but that's definitely... Kind of. I mean, that's just a crazy mentality. I mean, you don't really, you know, hear much of that now in modern times, maybe in some tribal areas around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I mean, we do have some elite factions, of course, our military, the Marines, and I'm sure, like, their families and friends are really strong as 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 much as they are as the soul as the marines are you know oh yeah well you know that attitude i can speak a little from experience from this as well uh, i was uh in the marine corps oh myself. yeah Ura. and yeah Ura. and um yeah they definitely have the i i would say the most spartan type attitude of the the branch services aside from special forces and right. stuff like that so they, they definitely have that uh, that spartan mentality okay. Some some might call cockiness. Yes, but <laughs> yes, very much so. I know my wife sure, certainly calls <laughs> it that, <laughs> but you know, deservedly yeah. so sometimes. Okay, so um, after the Spartans were defeated, Athens, you know, wasn't quite as strong as it had been in the past. They couldn't really levy taxes and didn't have the the strength to really dominate. So what this did was allow Thebes to enjoy top dog status for about 10 years or a hegemony for you more culture types who like translation words. political state that's yes, my biggest contribution good. to this podcast thank you zane couldn't thank do it without you so now enter macedonia macedonia so macedonia was a territory north of greece and the greek city-states thought of macedonians as well essentially backwoods hillbillies Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So although Macedonians were Greek in origin, they spoke a more, I guess, rednecky version of Greek. Okay. Maybe a good way to to think of it is like how Ireland 
versus England. So they're all in the UK, or at least portions of Ireland and England are. Um, so they're the UK, same people, speak roughly the same language. All these damn Greeks always trying to screw up things. <laughs> we want to be in our little backwoods and have safety and peace. But why are we adding just the wrong accents to these these regions? It's really fun, I, though. I, I think we need to take some classes, Zane. Yeah. Maybe maybe Rosetta Stone will teach us some uh, yeah, some we accents. Are, we are really off in the whole uh, geographical spectrum. Yeah, Macedonia. All right, so so while Greece was doing their Greek thing and fighting each other, uh, the Macedonians were building its its power and organizing. So Macedonia at this time was kind of um, kind of tribal, right? And uh-huh. they had um, kind of, I, I guess, warlord type of things. Uh, but at this time, Greece didn't pay attention because hill folk don't pose uh-huh. no threat. And they were busy seeing which one of their city-states could uh, pee the furthest. They're obsessed with that peeing. They, <laughs> well, they drank a lot of water. They had to stay hydrated when it they're fighting. It is hot over there. So the king of Macedonia was Philip II. And after he essentially consolidated the tribal power and control, he uh, professionalized the Macedonian armies, right? And began taking control of large parts of Greece around the 350s BC. So the last dance of the sacred band occurred in 338 BC at the Battle of Coronia. And, you know, the Thebans love the dance. Yeah, they do. But this one, they they do. do. But this one, not so nice for them. So the Battle of Caronia, a.k.a. the Greek Apocalypse, as I like to call, pretty much ended the old Greek states and ushered in the new Macedonian power. No, say no. So. so kind of think like, you know, how people think of ancient Greece. Um, this is kind of where it ended. Okay. And um, that's all thanks to Macedonia. Now, you know, there is a little thing about it, Macedonia real quick is that you know, I guess there's some debate as how Greek were they. So Macedonians were like, "Hey, babbity boobity, we're Greece." I thought they were Scottish. Come on. Uh, oh, okay. The best is like, "I babbity boobity, we're Greek." And and Greek Greece was like, "Babbity boobity, uh, no, you're not." So that's the best way I can describe Macedonians. They need to write that in the textbooks. No, they babbity yeah. babbity. No. All right. So the Greeks, including Thebes and their sacred band at this battle, numbered about 35,000 versus King Philip's uh, less, a little bit less than 30,000 troops. Okay. Um, but essentially the same, uh, same number, roughly. But now the one thing that King Philip had was he had 1,800 cavalry guys led by his 18-year-old son, Alexander. As in Alexander the frickin' Great. I, I don't know who that is. You, you haven't heard no. of Alexander? Not Alexander the So-So, but Alexander the Great. I have this heard time, of Alexander he the just... So-So. Oh. oh, okay. Well, that's his cousin. Oh, uh, oh. Yeah. But okay. at this time, Alexander was just known as Alexander the Capable, oh, I believe. Well, so that's, that's demoralizing. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote me on anything we've said. Yeah, actually. that's probably it's... a well, We could put that in the show notes. Yeah, if you have a book report, maybe don't base it solely off of our ramblings here. <laughs> so the Macedonians had innovated some tactics and theories, right, at this time, and defeated the main Greek armies. And, and it's kind of wonky, you know, they did some formation stuff, but essentially what they did was they had longer poles to counter the 
the Greek phalanx. Oh man, it's kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah. You you think someone would have figured that out before now? But uh, I guess you know someone's got to be the first, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, so that's what they did. And while the main battle went on, Alexander was able to surround the most feared Greek fighters of this time. And at this time, it was the Theban Sacred Band. So they were the they were the biggest badasses on the block at this time. They took over. They did take yeah. over, yes. And, you know, this is all during a 50-year time period, more uh-huh. or less. Okay, so Alexander ended them, pretty much. Uh, that was their last thing. But truly, the Sacred Band went down fighting fiercely, so much so that King Philip II was moved by their courage. And after surveying the battlefield for the dead, as kings do, he stopped where the 300 Sacred Band of Thebes lay dead beside their last commander, Theogenes. Theogen? Theogenes? Theogenes. Something like that. Pronunciations. Again, not my thing. Not my thing. But Philip saw that their bodies were heaped and intertwined with one another. Lives extinguished on the ends of his troops' phalanx. Philip, realizing who these soldiers were, wept and exclaimed, Perish any man who suspect that these men either did or suffered anything unseemly. Did that, that first troop, like, defect and become, uh, uh, Philip? Like, they didn't have a big genetic variation in their voices. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Just for that reason. Yeah. So, but this was a significant victory for Philip, as the sacred band was thought of as invincible throughout Greece at this time. But, you know, that was the end of that. The sacred band. Yeah, but, you know, that's, um, let's flash forward now to 1818. Because our story is not done here. But in 1818, a British guy riding a horse near Caronia makes a discovery. La di da di da, I love the Queen of England and the King of England. Oh, not easy now, Alice. There you go, there you go, my friend. That is just a rock. Means you no harm. All right, I'll settle down now. Right. Well, wait a tick. This is no ordinary pebble. Alice, what have you discovered here? By George, it looks like some sort of uplands buried here. A statue. Bloody hell. This here pebble is a statue of a lion! By George! By George! In fact, the British guy, he was an architect named George Ledwell. Yes, I was saying my name! Oh! oh. By myself! Weren't you paying attention? I was, I didn't, wasn't quite sure. But you weren't by yourself, you were with your party. No, just my horse, Alice. Yes, your horse. I love Alice, but... As you should. Okay, back to present day. All right, so George, his party stumbled upon what many believe to be the monument for the sacred band of Thebes. Enclosed in the lion, in the lion statue, were the skeletons of 254 men. Okay. However, during the Greek War of Independence, the monument was damaged. Uh, of course. Of course, they always are. But in 1902, permission was granted to restore it. So, at this time, the lion stands about two and a, 12 and a half feet high and was mounted on a pedestal about 10 feet high. So, it's a pretty uh, pretty big monument. Yeah, yeah. But wait! 254 isn't 300. What happened to the rest? Uh, what happened? Well, hard to say. Either 300 was a rounded approximation to start with, or some of them got taken prisoner 
or separated from the main fighting group dying elsewhere in the battlefield. I would say or that makes the, a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, one of those things has got to be true. Or, you know, this 254 may be another group entirely. Uh, but it is generally accepted, though, that this is the Sacred Band, and it's good enough for us. Yes, yes. So that is the Sacred Band of Thebes. All right, so, you know, that was a pretty interesting story, Zane. What yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to pick, uh, you know, this first topic, because it kind of delved into the whole ancient history, um, you know, of our world. Um, so that in itself is already pretty incredible. But the whole, um, you know, the whole mm-hmm. idea of, you know, this was an elite uh, unit, um, an elite Greek unit, um, but the fact that it has this historical element of being one of, if not the only one of the few, um, you know, Greek or known, like, you know, gay military units, um, just brought mm-hmm. like, you know, element of, you know, you know, fascination. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things you hear and you go, huh, I had no idea. Um, and, you know, it makes sense. Uh, you know, ancient Greece back then, um, like you said earlier, you know, the gay lifestyle, you know, wasn't frowned upon. Um, it was uh, looked up to and, you know, mm-hmm. they they definitely uh, used it for uh, this military system. And it can definitely be argued that it really helped uh, make this military unit very, uh, very fierce and strong and, you know, a unit you don't want to mess with. Yeah. And, you know, what I found interesting, too, about this is that this was only a 50 year mm-hmm. period that that this occurred you you don't hear about this tactic of combining male lovers in battle anytime before or anytime right. after really and it's something that you think you know what it really makes a lot of sense to me uh why wasn't this around right. more and you know i know there's a lot of you know stuff you know historically with you know homosexuals after this um you know being frowned upon so you didn't really see that so much in, uh-huh. in military and but uh, you know it was only only till until recently that the United States military allowed homosexuals to right. serve openly. But um, you know, totally different fighting style now than it was back then. But I mean, wow! I mean, it's just like, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you do that more? It just seems like you you would probably do that as a yeah, commander, I mean, right? The fact that you know it's, you already have you know your men out there. There's already testosterone going like crazy. But if you know, love is a very powerful emotion, and if you can, if you can use that to oh, harness yeah. it uh, for your advantage in battle, I mean, I I don't think I need to really look at the science, and I I think I would bet on them. You know? Yeah, and maybe maybe it wasn't so much love; it's just fear of the <laughs> nagging. Like, how dare how dare you left me behind to get my arm chopped off by the Persians? And you didn't do anything. Yes, you just yes. <laughs> that's that's what my wife would be like if I yes. did that. So, like. Uh, no, I'll go ahead and do that. I agreed, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's do something uh, a little a little fun to yeah. wrap the show up, Zane. Um, uh, for listeners, I, I think we will do um, some high. Yeah, and we're, we're going to, you know, we'll do this every week. It kind of helps uh, wrap up, uh, you know, each topic in just a little fun way, a little creative mm-hmm. way. Yeah, a little poetry to show Which I thought I would never do again, but, you know, Josh had this idea, and I was like, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll open up this creative box once again and see, you know, what I can do with it. All right. Well, this should I go first or uh, you go you first? Go ahead. How do you want to? All right. <clears throat> Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and insert some tranquil oh. music here. The sacred of Thebes fought fiercely in their battles, but lost to a great. A great. A great. A great what? <laughs> a great badass. Uh, it, it, 
Alright, A Great is Alexander oh, the Great. Okay. Yes. Alright. I, I, I guess I failed at uh, uh, that. Wait, is it supposed to be so so? Huh, okay, sorry. That's t- t- no, bad, no. terrible. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I got you now. I had to explain <laughs> that, my bad. Alright, okay. next time. Next time. Alright, now my turn. Sacred Band of Thebes. 300 fierce warriors who were fabulous. <laughs> All right, I like that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> a little stereotypical, but hey, you know what? They were yes. fabulous. You know, when you're yes, fabulous, yes. you're fabulous. All right, my second one Sacred versus Spartans. All day this Sunday, Sunday. Who wins? Who survives? I like it. You got, you got, you All got right. the the GSPN little reference there. Mm-hmm. They're the yes. monster yeah, trucky. Monster trucky. Uh, I'm all in. It got me a little excited too because football's back. So that yeah, I like it. I'm all in. Good job, Josh. All right. Good. Very good. <laughs> and now for my last haiku. Thebes, famed sacred band, hear their mighty battle cry. Phalanx and Phallus. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I like that just one too. Just expect some immaturity good, in my haikus. So just for now on. Hey, you know, if you can't be immature in haikus, where can you be immature? Which reminds us, listeners, if if you have any haikus you'd like to submit to us, so uh, you know, go ahead and do so. We might uh, yeah. read those on air. Or if you have any show ideas you might want us to cover, uh, incredible stories, go ahead and uh, drop us a note. We like hearing from you guys. Yeah, and remember, like the you know, incredible stories have some truth element to it. Like it, you know, should be pretty, pretty factual, but you know, that incredible, you know, vibe mm-hmm. to it. And of course, you know, with paranormal, who's who's to tell with that? Well, that wraps it up for our show, our first show. Congrats, Josh. Congrats to you, Zane. Thank you so much. Now, make sure, guys, to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle is at IncredPod. That's uh, the at little symbol thing. I-N-C-R-E-D-P-O-D and check out our site IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com Send us a note and links will be in our show notes. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh and I'm Zane. Remember the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Peace! Bye! Springs